Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm Dana. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a podcast for addicts, by addicts, and their families, or anyone who knows an addict, starring addicts, especially today. Today, my guest is comedian Joe Klosik, who is an amazing amazing storyteller he's going to be at the punchline as part of reimagine next week and next month he's going to be teaching some classes up in there listen as i abruptly get to know him welcome to radio rehab here's your host dana keys Well, Joe, welcome to Radio Rehab. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, tell me, tell me what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. <laughs> <laughs> Just right to it, huh? Yeah, um, right to it. Wow, what it was like. Um, I mean, it was pretty horrific. Obviously, mm-hmm. it did. It, it, uh, I had some sobriety time, and uh, I had about four and a half years. Oh. And I went out, and at the time, I did not realize it was going to take me fifteen years to really come back. And in that 15 years, I had some stretches of sobriety, mostly white knuckle um, kind of sobriety, you know, nothing very lasting. And um, it just got worse and worse and worse, just as you hear. Uh, The last five years, obviously, is when it got really bad for me. And I was in a relationship and essentially took her hostage. Mm -hmm. I thought... You know, hey, um, since you have the job, you can just keep paying the rent and buying groceries and shuttling me around to the few remaining gigs that I still have booked. Um, and I will contribute nothing financially and continue to create problems <laughs> in your life. And um, I ended up where I, I, I was a shut in. I only communicated with the outside world through Facebook or email. People would call uh, sometimes on, we, we still had a landline and I wouldn't answer it, you know, because I would be like, Oh my God, I don't, I don't want people to hear that I'm drunk. Uh huh. You know, it's, it's not even noon yet. So yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want them to hear me slurring my words, but at the same time, I would also be like, Oh, I'm so lonely. And then I couldn't answer the phone. You know, I mean, it was that kind of normal level of crazy. And I would only leave to go to the liquor store and meet my drug dealer. Mm. And that was pretty much my social interaction. Um, didn't have a car anymore. It I, that got booted and taken away by San Francisco. Didn't have a cell phone. Well, I still had a cell phone, but it wasn't connected to anything. But I would still walk around pretending that I had a cell phone. Right. Sometimes talking on it uh, just to avoid any possible interaction with other human beings because um, I just needed to make that block and a half trip to the liquor store and a block and a half back up the hill and I would get in and I would just be like, oh my God, that was exhausting and terrifying. And um, just drink, 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 drink. Um, And yeah, I mean, eventually um, I started to steal money out of her purse. You're literally telling my story. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but it wasn't a a she, it was a he. But literally, yeah. I I mean, and... Same. And she would, um, occasionally she would go like, hey, did you see, I thought I had another 20. And I'd be like, no, I I don't know where it is. Let me help you look for it. Yeah, you know, classic. (laughs) Totally. There was actually one time she came home, she's a Pilates instructor, and she goes, oh, they had a fire girl who was working at the front desk because they caught her 
going through everyone's purses in the break room. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's got to be her. Oh, yeah, clearly. You know, like, so that gave me an out uh, for like three months of bad behavior. And then, you know, again, I would do it. And, you know, basically, I was gaslighting her. I'm like, oh, I know I wouldn't do that. And she mm. believed me, mm-hmm. which was horrible. Um, I burned all my bridges. Uh, I'm stand-up comic, and I, I was not showing up to gigs. I wasn't actively looking for gigs. When I was bothering to go to a gig, it was pretty much just me being drunk and incoherent, mm-hmm. which is great if you're famous because everyone can right. talk about it. But yeah. if you're you know, somebody that people don't know and you're being hired, it's like, whoa, this is... In fact, my one of my bottoms was I came out of a blackout on stage at the punchline. And um, if you're going to come out of a blackout, Whoa. don't do it in front of an audience. Right. It's very weird feeling. Um, and then the next day, I got a call from uh, the woman who is manager of the punchline, who I've known forever. And uh, she said, hey, yeah, you can't come to the club anymore if you're drunk. So I was basically being told... Hey, we love you, but don't show up. And because of social media now, there was all of this stuff like, hey, who was that guy? Why would they let him on stage? What mm-hmm. the hell was that? You know, the whole thing. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And I'm like, fine, you know. And then I, could, I couldn't I could show up sober. I would show up and they would just go, Joe, you can't come in. Yeah. You're like, what are you doing, man? And, and I could see the, now I look back on it and I could see the pain in people's faces like, Hey, what are you doing, man? You know we can't let you in. Why are you making a big deal out of it? Yeah, I'm going to be in trouble. You you can't you can't come in. Yeah. And that was so much a part of my life being a stand-up comic. It was my identity was wrapped up in it, and the punchline was home. That's essentially where I started. It's where like a lot of my big breaks came and a lot of my milestones occurred, a lot of people I got to work with. That place was home, and now I was told you can't come home. And, um, I still like, I still like another year went by, uh, and I, I drank behind that shame and that embarrassment and pretty much had no contact with anyone. And the girlfriend finally said, I don't care if you don't have family or money or a place to go, you're out in 30 days. And I thought, okay, fine. I'll, I'll, that's fine. I will just drink and use for the next 30 days. And then at the end of it, I will commit suicide Mm -hmm. and i'm saying this very matter of factly but that made sense like it it when i look back on that i'm like wow that was a crazy idea but it made total logical sense to me um i think about that now and i just realize like wow that that's creepy to me i mean Mm -hmm. it's sad and scary but it made absolute sense yeah um and i was gonna go through with it but i thought uh, let, let me let me take one last look at my options. And uh, I didn't have any money. My, I didn't have family close by. Uh, I burned all my friends. Um, I didn't have any work skills. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be homeless. Um, you know, what, what can I do? And I essentially Googled free rehab and, uh, in San Francisco, which I thought was impossible. And what popped up was a place called Father Alfred Center. Shout out to you guys. Wow. 10th and yeah. Folsom. Uh, and it's run by St. Anthony's Foundation. 
and they they people might know them. They have a diner on Golden Gate that serves homeless people and working poor, and they also have and they a, have a needle exchange yeah, there. Need, yeah, needle I had some needle exchange I used to go to. Yeah. you know, just they they do a lot of good, a lot yeah. of good. Um, so I I went down there, and uh, yeah, it's it's a one year program, or it was at the time uh, that I got into it. And the first six months, you work at the diner. Um, you know, in, in, in your cooking, your cleaning stuff, you're in the dish room, you're working in the warehouse. And then the next six months, um, you essentially, you, you have a job and you're saving money and the whole time you're, you are, uh, you're, you're having speakers come in talking about 12 steps. You have meetings coming in, uh, NAAA, you've mm-hmm. got people talking about philosophy, you have, brothers and nuns and there was no religion that was ever pushed pushed on me which i respected it was all about recovery find it whatever it makes sense to you you know so if you're an na person great if you're a aa person great if you just want to go to church great we'll help facilitate all that wow Uh, this place sounds amazing it's it's amazing It, it it is the gold standard for free rehab in san francisco and um you know, I, I was very lucky. I was lucky, and I realized that as soon as I got in because the majority of the people that are in there, they're either coming from prison, and it's a condition of parole, or they are coming off the street after living on the street for years with mental health, addiction. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely got off the elevator before I hit that bottom, but I could clearly see mm. that's where it was all headed. Yeah. I had no question about that in my mind. Um, working at the diner on Golden Gate was a huge, huge thing for me because, um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to work and physically, I didn't even know if I could, to be honest, like I was in horrible shape Mm -hmm. and suddenly I'm in uh, a, a dish room and I'm scraping food off of trays that a homeless person didn't want. And that is humbling. Oh God. You know, when it's like, here, here's the, all the trays, like a guy who's only going to eat this today sent this back. You have to scrape it off and clean it. And, you know, there were definitely moments where I was like, man, I am better than this. And I remember once a manager hearing me say this and uh, he took me out to, to where the line is of people forming to get their trays of free food. And he goes, yeah, look at all these people in line. You are better than them. Remember that. And it was a very humbling moment because you look at the people that are lined up and they have profound physical issues. They have obvious mental health problems on display. They've got substance abuse issues. They're in ratty clothes. They don't have shoes or shirts. Um, I mean, I realized in that moment, like, yeah, I'm really lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. Mm. And yeah, I'm scraping food off of a tray, but I have a bed to sleep in tonight. Uh, I have a warm shower that I have. I have three meals that are going to be provided to me. And the whole time I'm in recovery. Um, That place saved my life. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It saved my life. And I think the idea of uh, doing service right away for those who are more unfortunate than you, huge component to my program. Um, I ended up getting a job there. First, I was paid to be a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, they saw that 
you know, I would work with the, not, yeah, I was just working with the guys and talking to them. And that's the first position everybody would work when you would come into the program. And for a while, I'm like, why are I not advancing? Why am I stuck as a dishwasher? And uh, they're like, well, you know what? You're good as a dishwasher, but you're really good with the guys that are coming in and are new. Like you're actually helping them transition into this and uh, we kind of like you there. And I'm like, well, is there a future in that? You know, am I like just a dishwasher whisperer or something? <laughs> right. You know, like what? And they're like, well, you know, let's see what happens. A uh, position opened up for a job coach. And I was just like, is it going to get me out of the dish room? Yeah. They're like, yes. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And that is basically a more formalized version of what I was doing, you know, helping guys deal with the issues around having a job. And a lot of people take for granted having a job. And a lot of the issues that we just like, ah, my boss is a jerk. I got to handle it. You know, they don't have that emotional regulation. They haven't learned it yet. And when you're new and you're detoxing and emotions are this new thing you have not experienced in a long time, people would go off on their boss over nothing or they would just decide one day, like, I'm not going to do this. And, and you had to talk people uh, you know, off the proverbial ledge, sometimes mm. literally. And you also had to deal with people relapsing in the middle of their shift. And you had to deal with people uh, dying and, you know, getting Narcan into them. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's the whole thing. I mean, it, it's an HBO series waiting to happen. God. It's all right there. And, um, and then another position opened up, which is... Now I am part of a five-person team that is designing this new curriculum based around positive psychology that we're going to teach to groups of men and women who are new in recovery. And uh, the whole idea is, hey, you spend 40% of your life at work, and we want you to have a meaningful life. So how can you find ways to put meaning into your job and then eventually end up with a job that provides you with meaning. Like your recovery should not be the only thing that's meaningful. Uh, why can't you have meaning at work? Even if you're just the guy cutting carrots, do the best job of cutting carrots. And if you do that and that attitude continues, you'll probably end up getting advances in the company and, and moving on. And eventually you will end up getting a job you probably really love because you did everything with meaning. So that's pretty much what it was like. And uh, and I'm, I'm doing stand-up comedy again, which is kind of awesome. I, I did not think that was ever going to happen. I thought all the bridges were burned. But um, the punchline, when they, they were in danger of going out of business. Yeah. Uh, and the same woman that called me up and said, hey, you can't come here anymore, um, called me up and said, would you like to be one of the people that talks at City Hall for us? to try and help us stay in our location. So it went from, you know, don't show up to, thank God you're back on the scene, we love you, and will you please help, you know, now save this place that you love. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and I've done amends too. Like the woman I, my ex-girlfriend, we're, we're pretty good friends. We talk at least once a week. Sometimes we have dinner together. Uh, she tells me about all of her boyfriends that she's attempting to date, <laughs> and I, I'm just like, oh my God, you... You have problems. Right. I approve of none of them, but mm -hmm. more power to her. And I've started paying her back. I have a payment plan with her for, you know, figured out how much money I stole over a three-year period. Right. And have a payment plan with her. And I'm, you know, giving that back to her. And, um, 
Yeah, life life has worked out ridiculously good. That is so awesome. That's really, really good to hear. That's pretty much, I mean, it, it's different parts and, and different years, but my story was pretty much the same way, is that I had like three and a half years, mm. and then I went back out, and it took me 10 years, and by yeah. the end, I was trying to kill myself, and oh, it wasn't yeah, working, yeah. and it was just like, yeah. Did you feel like you wouldn't come back in because... I mean, I just felt like, man, I knew how much work it was going to take. Yeah. yeah. And, and was, the shame. Yeah. Oh, huge shame. Huge shame. And now, you know, now that it's like we both got some time under our belt, we can both see that there is no shame. We're rooting for that guy yeah, to come absolutely. back. It's like, yeah. it's all we want. Yeah. But when you're out there, it's like, maybe it's just the disease that's so loud in your head oh, going, it is, oh, totally. you can't go back. They're going to hate you. It, it, you know, for me, it wasn't even so much about they were going to hate me. It was more about I hated me. Yeah. And that voice was so loud in my head about man you really screwed up and you are so far gone you've burned everything in your life down to nothing nobody i mean that was another thing about working at the diner like eventually i would show up and the chefs were like hey joe it's good to see you and it had been so long since anybody (laughs) was happy to see me right you know so it's like oh that feels good like they're happy to see me and I rediscovered my Midwestern work ethic, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's right. I can I can do something that I don't like doing, but I can do it the right way because I know it's not forever. Right. Like that was a big lesson that I had to relearn, too. Yeah. Like and it's also humbling, like what you said, like very humbling. humbling. I mean, extremely humbling. Yeah. I know. I I have a friend of the family who was like a band manager for really famous like 70s and 80s rock stars and ended up in prison Mm. and was in like like his job was like cleaning the sewage system or something where he went from being on tour and at the Grammys and, you know, whatever. And he's down there like literally shoveling shit. Yeah. It's like. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I felt I, I I spent two months in Shanghai, China doing stand up comedy. I was the first American comic to have a residency at the first full time comedy club in mainland China. And I remember thinking to myself, like, yeah, I was on tour in China. Now I'm scraper two. Right. In the dish room. Not even scraper one. Right. Scraper two. Yeah. I had to work my way up to scraper <laughs> one in the dish room, but I was on tour. What did I do? You know? Exactly. Was, and that beating myself up, like that, that was a really loud voice that took a long time to go away. Oh, yeah. And like the guy I was just talking about, he's got 37 years now. Wow. It's like people, I feel like people who do things that are humbling and who let go of, don't you know who I am yeah. or oh, who God, I used yeah. to be? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, because people are, don't you know who I am? Like, they don't stay sober. No, they don't. I mean, yeah. and it's unfortunately, you see a lot of like famous actors and musicians like really struggle. They have a hard time. Yeah, because yeah. there's somebody and people kiss their asses. Yeah. And that's not healthy. No, I it I mean we know we know from the literature humility is a huge component and when so much of your identity and your your business is wrapped up in your ego that's really really hard um and yeah I feel like I have discovered a new depth to my sobriety because I've had to let go of so many ideas about this is who I am and this is how this should work. I don't compartmentalize my sobriety anymore. Uh, Like when I first got sober at 30, I never talked about it on stage as a comedian and I hid it. I kept it essentially closeted. I didn't want to mention it. Um, Partly out of embarrassment, 
now I have no problem talking about it. And it comes up on stage. Uh, even when I'm not talking about it, I've had people come up to me now after shows and go, hey, are you a friend of Bill's? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine what I said, but somehow right. something is getting through and other people are like, I, I recognized something in that. Yeah. Probably gratitude or something. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's yeah. cool to feel like, oh, okay, I'm I'm not just making people laugh. There's a couple other people out there. You're carrying the message. Carrying yeah, the message. you're representing the program. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's one thing I have. That's I have the exact same feelings about that. Like the last time when I got sober, I you know didn't tell everybody, or I was kind of like, well, I used to do drugs and now I don't. You know, like yeah. that, that yeah, was yeah. it. But now I am so out in the open because it's like I can't be in hiding. Like I cannot be in the shadows. It's too dangerous for me. Yeah, no, you know, yeah, yeah, like at the radio station, like you know, there would be all these events where there'd be free booze. Yeah, yeah. People be like, "Do you want this?" And like the second time they'd ask me, I'd be like, "Yeah, I'd love that." And I'm going to be smoking crack with toothless hookers come two a.m. <laughs> if I drink it, you know, because that's what I do. And they were like, "Okay, that's way, you know." People yeah. were always like, "That's just way too much information." And I made a couple people like never want to talk to me again. <laughs> but but it was safe for me. You know, everybody yeah. knows she can't drink. And like that was that was something that was very important. Special thanks to comedian Joe Klosek for being on the show. You can find him on all the socials at Stand Up Joe. Our socials at Radio Rehab Dana, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You get the picture. Join us tomorrow as we talk about the first time Joe tried to get clean and sober. Thanks for listening. Keep coming back. <laughs>